Has your heart ever been on fire? I don't mean the little butterflies that you feel when you have puppy love. I'm not talking about that tickling in your stomach whenever you become a grandfather and you see your grandson. I mean a real passion, a real burning for someone. Something that longs for something that is bigger than you, bigger than life. Well, my heart has burned like that. My name is Cleopas. Some call me Cleo. Just don't call me Cleopatra. <laughs> I was one of Jesus' disciples. Not the 12 that were his inner circle, but one of the 120. There were, there were more of us who, who followed Jesus and, and who watched him teach the crowds. And as we heard his teachings, as we saw him love the people and heal the sick, we knew that there was a special power about him. That he wasn't just another ordinary rabbi, but that the hand of God was on him in a special way. That's why we decided to follow him. That's why the 12 left everything to follow him. And that's why we really believed that God was working through him. But this last few days, this Passover has been, has really wrecked our world. Some awful things have happened. The life of this man of God, this Jesus of Nazareth, came to a horrible end. And it doesn't make sense. Why would this happen? My friend and I were, were walking from Jerusalem where all these awful things took place and we were going to a little village called Emmaus. It was springtime, the birds were chirping and, and the trees were blooming, the sun rays were shining, but our faces were downcast. We were trying to sort out the events of the last couple of days. We couldn't make sense of what had taken place in Jerusalem and how Jesus' life came to an end. We were so saddened that as we were looking at the ground, we, we were unaware of our surroundings, travelers that went on ahead of us or that came behind us. Nothing really mattered. But there was this one traveler who overtook us. He apparently had been overhearing our conversation, our, our struggle, our lament. And he asked us what we were talking about. So we said to him without paying much attention, thinking he was a nuisance, we're talking about what has just happened in Jerusalem. And he said, what things? As if he hadn't been in town that day. How could he not know what happened? Everybody knew what had taken place. And so with some disgust still from my stomach that was sick of what had happened, I began to explain to him the things that had happened. I'm sure he must have noticed the frustration in my face at having to explain something that, 
that was unpleasant to me. I told him how Jesus of Nazareth was this prophet of God that healed the sick, that fed the multitudes, and that we had come to believe that he might be the one to redeem Israel. We found ourselves in, in a very difficult situation spiritually and politically as a nation. We were hoping that this was the one from God who would redeem us. After all, someone that had that kind of power, somebody whose, whose words came almost directly from God, that's the kind of person that could redeem us. But the chief priests, the religious people, they turned him over to be sentenced to death by the Romans. What an irony. The very people that were supposed to point others to God are the ones that are turning this man of God to be killed. The very representatives of God on earth are, are stopping the movement of God like we've never seen it before. And he was crucified. He hung on a cross with a crown of thorns on his head, beaten and bleeding like a criminal. The one who healed the sick was hanging on a cross, hurting. The one who loved the multitudes was being mocked and ridiculed by them. The one who, who fed the hungry was, was thirsty. The one who cared for the widow and the orphan was, was lonely. The one who was without sin felt the sin of the world on himself. What an injustice. And he was buried. And they put a stone on his tomb. And when that stone sealed the tomb, it sealed our hope. Our hope was dead. The one that we hoped would redeem us was now a cold body laying in the grave and our dreams were gone. An incredible discouragement and de despair filled our lives. And we could not make sense of that. And just when I thought that, that I could make this stranger traveling with us see why we were so discouraged and saddened, I looked at him and there was a look in his face. I don't know if it was pity, but he said to me, are you so dull spiritually? Is your faith so small that you don't understand that God's Messiah had to suffer and die, that all of the scriptures announce his suffering? We were shocked to hear such a thing. He said, oh, you, you believe the, 
the promise is about him being king. You believe the promise is about him restoring Israel. You believe the promise is about justice and righteousness and peace, but you don't understand the promises about his suffering. And this stranger turned out to be an incredible Bible scholar. He began with the Torah, the, the law of Moses, and began to show how all of it pointed to Jesus of Nazareth. He told us about how in the Garden of Eden, when, when Adam and Eve had sinned, that, that God announced a curse. And when he announced the curse, he said to Adam and Eve that there would be one, an offspring of the woman who the serpent would bite on the heel, but he would crush the head of the serpent. Even in the curse of the Garden of Eden, God was announcing one who would come and crush the serpent through suffering. He reminded us about that mysterious figure of Melchizedek. You remember that king of Salem, the king of Shalom, the eternal priest as the psalmist calls him who who encountered Abraham in the wilderness and he gave Abraham bread and wine. And Abraham offered him a tenth of everything. That this Melchizedek, this eternal priest, this king of peace was one who was pointing to Jesus of Nazareth. He told us about that wonderful story of Joseph that we all love, the, the, the one who was loved by his father but, but hated by his brothers, who was sold into slavery and suffered unjustly. He was imprisoned and accused. He was innocent and yet he was punished and then God rose him up to redeem his family from famine and hunger. That Joseph, was pointing to another one who would come and, and would suffer unjustly, but would redeem his people. And the very story, the very story of Passover was a story of how God had redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt and how he sent 10 judgments on the Egyptians. And the 10th one was to kill the firstborn of every family, except for the families who would take a lamb and would slain the lamb and spill its blood and would take the blood with a brush of hyssop and would put it on the doorpost of their home. And then when the angel of death would go through the land and the firstborn of every family would die, he would pass over the homes where the lamb's blood was on the post. And this traveler told us, this Jesus of Nazareth was the Passover lamb who was killed, whose blood was spilled, and whose blood can be claimed by, by everyone who would have faith in him and the judgment of God for our sins and our rebellion would pass over us because of the blood of the lamb. In fact, the entire sacrificial system points to Jesus. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
He's the high priest who, who goes into the Holy of Holies. He's, he's the blood that is shed and sprinkled to purify us. He's the tabernacle. Every aspect of the sacrificial system in the Torah points to Jesus of Nazareth. And he went on through every scroll of the scriptures that we knew and showed us how they pointed to him. And he came to the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and how Isaiah had announced that, that unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This baby, this child was pointing to, to that child that would be born in Bethlehem who would reign. We knew about his reign. We knew about his kingdom. We knew about the promise of the reign of David, but we didn't understand about his suffering. And then this traveler pointed us to another part of Isaiah's prophecies. It was a part that refers to the suffering servant. And this part, we never had thought of it relating to the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge and my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession 
for the transgressors. Oh my goodness. It was there all along. How could we have missed it? Why is it that sometimes when we look at the scriptures, we see only what we want to see, but we don't see everything that God wants us to see? That moment, things began to click in our mind. Some kind of awkward peace in our grief began to invade us. Because somehow we began to understand that what had happened to Jesus that weekend was not an accident. It was sad and it hurt us. And we grieved because of it, but it was God's plan that the Messiah would suffer. And Jesus went on from his death to the grave. And then this traveler continued to show in the scriptures how they pointed to him. In the book of Ruth, he's the king's man redeemer. In the fiery furnace with Daniel, the fourth man points to him, Jesus of Nazareth. When Malachi talks about the day of the Lord, and he talks about the son of righteousness with healing in his wings rising, he's talking about Jesus of Nazareth. Every scripture the traveler told us, And as he kept speaking, something incredible was happening. Our faith was being strengthened. We didn't have full understanding. It still didn't make complete sense. But there was something awakening in us that was not there before. There was a sense of confidence, of trust, and embarrassment because we knew the scriptures but we had not understood them. And we arrived at the village and this strange traveler whom we really like now was continuing his journey. But we didn't want him to leave. We enjoyed his company. It was like that of no other. So we invited him to stay. We said, hey, it's getting late. You don't want to be traveling in the dark. Why don't you stay here? And tomorrow you can continue your journey. And to our heart's delight, he agreed. And we went in the house and we sat at the table. What a special place the table is. The table where, where we have fellowship, where, where we sit around and we see each other's faces. The table where we break bread. And it was the custom of our day that the men of the house would bless the bread and break it and pass it. But this traveler had been such an extraordinary friend to us in our despair that we wanted him to have the honor to bless the bread and break it. And so he did. He took the bread. He thanked God. And he broke it. And as he did that, There were flashbacks in my mind about the time when Jesus took bread and, and he fed the multitudes miraculously. About the times that, that Jesus said to us, I am the bread of life. About the times that we shared meals with him and he blessed the bread and he broke it and how our hearts and our stomachs were filled 
And in that very moment, my spiritual eyes were open. And I looked at the stranger that was breaking the bread. And the Spirit of God allowed me to realize it was Jesus. He's alive. He did rise from the dead. And he's right there in front of us. It happened just like the scripture said. And everything began to make sense. I looked at my friend. We didn't have to say a word to each other. We knew what had just happened. The miracle that was in front of us. And just as we realized it, he disappeared. And I turned to my friend and I said, weren't our hearts burning? When he walked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us, weren't our hearts burning? When the very word of God made flesh, opened the scriptures so that we could understand it, how could our hearts not burn when we were in the very presence of God? And as we walked with him, our hearts were burning because he is risen means that he's present, that we never have to walk alone, that in our despair, in our discouragement, he is with us, he's present. He's risen means that his promises are true. That everything that happened that weekend of Passover, his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection was promised by God. And if he kept that promise, he will keep every promise. His risen means that I can count on the promises that are still to come. His risen means that there's power. But the same power that was in Jesus of Nazareth to heal the sick, to deliver the oppressed, to speak to the wind and the waves so that they would be still, to raise the dead to life, that power is available to us. He is risen means that there's power. all because he rose from the dead. That's my story. Cleopas. No one else has really heard about me, but my friend Luke wrote about me in his gospel. But the story doesn't end there. My friend and I, whose hearts were burning, ran back to Jerusalem that day. We didn't care if it got dark. And we joined the 11 and their hearts were burning. And then we gathered with 120 in an upper room and we prayed and our hearts were burning. 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, the 120 became 5,000. And like a wildfire burning heart spread through all Jerusalem. And then Judea, even to Samaria, and Asia, and Macedonia, to the ends of the earth, even 
to Rome, hearts burning, and the world was never the same. The world was turned upside down because he lit our hearts on fire. What if in every generation, God were to ignite the hearts of people? What if in every generation, God were to make the hearts of people burn for his presence with a desire to be with him above everything else, to trust him in our most difficult moments, to rely on him, to walk with him, to let him change us and purify us. What if every, in every generation there were people whose hearts would burn for his presence? What if in every generation there were hearts that would burn for his promise? People who would love the scriptures, who would dive in the scriptures, who would dig in the scriptures to discover God's truth and allow him to open their eyes, to trust the promises that the Messiah will come back again and that he will make everything right. What if in every generation there would be people whose hearts would burn for his power? That there would be people who would believe that in a broken world where, where evil is called good and where good is called evil. That there is power. That there is resurrection power that can change me. That can free me. That I don't have to live in oppression. That I don't have to live in addiction. That I don't have to live in defeat. That there is power for victory in my life. In the life of my family and my church. What if in every generation people would have burning hearts until the Messiah returns? What if today you would let God let your heart burn for his presence, his promise, and his power?